This is Robert Capuccio. Welcome to Transformation Unplugged, where we challenge conventional thinking and explore authentic strategies and insights around personal transformation. Our commitment to you is to connect you with some of the world's leading experts in health, fitness, and behavior change, separating fact from fallacy. To be unplugged means deciding to be unrestrained by the beliefs, expectation, and assumption of others. To make the declaration that only you can determine for yourself what the best version of you looks like based on what you authentically want and value most. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode. Our guest today has been a longtime friend and colleague of mine. Martin Rooney is the founder and head coach of Training for Warriors, a physical therapist, world-renowned trainer, author, speaker, an accomplished martial artist, and he's been listed on the top 50 people to watch in health and fitness five years in a row. He travels the world inspiring top athletes, coaches, fitness enthusiasts, and business executives for companies like Marriott and Hasbro. Early on in his career, Martin got started as an MVP track athlete and a member of the Olympic bobsled team. He's trained some of the most accomplished martial artists in the world, including the legendary Renzo Gracie. I first met Martin when I was working with the Parisi Speed School, which is a youth performance company that Martin helped grow their franchise to over 100 locations throughout the United States. When I met Martin and started to get to know him a little bit, I was obviously impressed with his ability as a coach. He developed one of the top NFL combine training programs in the country, producing the fastest athlete at, listen to this, 2001, 2004, 2005, and the 2006 NFL combine, and first place finishers in 10 different positions, including five all-time records. There have been 130 athletes that Martin has trained that has been drafted into the NFL, including the number two pick overall, Chris Long, back in 2008. But what really impressed me about Martin was his authenticity around helping people become who they most wanted to be. Since then, Martin's been pretty busy. He's been a consultant for the New York Giants, the New York Jets, written three books. He's been featured in the New York Times, publications such as Men's Health, and his training for warrior system has been used by the Army Rangers and the Army Airborne Division. So in short, what I'm trying to say here is Martin knows how to get the best out of people, and he communicates in a way that not just empowers, but inspires. So you know what? Enough. Just have a listen to this episode and you'll see exactly what I mean. Martin Rooney, thank you for doing this with us. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest here today. Hey, my, yeah, well, the pleasure is all mine, Bobby. And uh, it's kind of funny. I don't think some where I should even be considered a guest where you and I have been friends so long. I'm looking forward to what every time we get together, we explore an idea and come up with something great. So I know it's going to happen today. Well, how many times have we presented together around the world? Oh, it's gotta be, I mean, over the years, dozens and dozens, but remember there was a period of time, a few years span where we were working side by side mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, I recently, I didn't even tell you about this. I recently met uh, somebody that confirmed one of my 
favorite stories that you tell. And that was when you guys were at like a Brooklyn Golds and, uh, you know, Eric Cassabury, who I'm sure you're familiar with, he, <laughs> yes, he, was, saying he was there at the same time. He, what's crazy is he started telling me the same story. And I said, wait a minute, did you know Bobby Capucci? Because <laughs> that sounds like the same story where, man, you guys had some uh, pretty hilarious stuff going on in the gym. So it just, hey, actually, it also shows we're just getting old because we've had a lot of time together. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting very, very old. For those of you who don't know, Eric Casaberry, um, he th- this guy's just genius. He went to work at Gold's Gym as a sales advisor and as a trainer, and he learned everything he could about the business. Now he owns, you know, a 150 store wide franchise, Retro Fitness. He's a super successful guy. He's a really great dude as well. What, what was funny about that? You know, before we even get into this, is I spoke to Eric last year. We got on the phone for about two hours, and he said that what started his journey, I don't think he minds me um, talking about this, was he was sitting in one of those workshops, listening to one of those stories, and I must have been, I don't know how old I was, 19, maybe 20, I don't know, maybe a little bit older, and I had just watched a Tony Robbins infomercial. And I said, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, just doing one small step day by day, because I, I think I was going through the 30 day transformation program, like with Tony Robbins it was one of the first things he put out with Guthrie Rinker. I, I said, it's amazing. If, if you don't question it, you don't get in your head, where's this going? You just sit down and do the work and how that compounds over time. That, that actually evolved into a major philosophy of mine. And he said, he went home that night and he had insomnia. And he was watching TV and this gigantic guy was on TV. It's like, I think that's the same Tony Robbins that Bobby was talking about. He's like, I'm going to buy this program. And he said he went through that program step by step. And at the end of that was this vision, which became retro fitness. So I, I think that's a really cool story. But I don't know which stories you tell or I tell or where they originated. Every time I hear you speak, I go, oh, I know that story. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we've all come full circle and, and exactly like you brought up, Hey, one thing is that it's connections between people and you never know when a great idea is going to hit and you never know what moment is going to be the moment. But it was kind of funny again, like I said, uh, you, you know, you just, you know, clarified that story, but, but the story I was talking about, which I know you and I, we always talk about motivation, but it was the, the uncanny or uh, rare type of motivation they were using in Brooklyn, like beating people up. <laughs> was it, wasn't that part of his motivation for starting his gym where he right. borrowed money from like two of his uncles? But I mean those people in uh, Brooklyn where it was just these hilarious stories where it sounds like whoever the guy that was selling the beverages would just show up and get beat up and thrown out of the gym, but the guy kept coming back. And I said, wait a minute, was this a gym in Brooklyn? And that's what brought it all together. So, that was the Snapple guy. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about any of this, but about, yeah, the Snapple guy used to get these epic fights from the owner. And it was Brooklyn where nobody batting an eye. It's like, oh, all right, yeah, Snapple guy came around. He got beat up a little bit. Yeah, and then, and then he came back next week, which, uh, but, but again, Wait, I didn't tell you that one. But hey, let's dive in because I know the listeners need to hear something that is going to make them better as we enter into new year. And I know we're going to uncover it. So what do you got? 
Uh, so, Martin, when, when people listen to you speak, it's almost like they have two different interpretations based on the length of the venue. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. So if somebody goes and they hear you speak at a conference and you've got about an hour, I hear people walking out and going, wow, I'm so motivated. Like that guy's so inspiring. I feel so inspired. But if somebody goes to an entire day with you, so like one of your all day deep dive coaching workshops, they walk out and what I hear often is I feel so prepared. So you're a guy who walks on the line of inspiration, but also strategic implementation. And there's a lot of different opinions about the role of motivation, just basic strategy. Like, you know, you don't have to surf too far down your thread on social media where you get somebody saying, just do the work, as if human behavior change was that simple. What's, what's your personal definition for motivation? Like, what is it? Hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting. Like, I, you know, and as you know, hey, one, I take, uh, I, I love the idea that I am a motivator. Uh, one thing that interesting that happened, I, I got named one of the top you know, 50 people in or influential people in health and fitness, you know, for five years running. And when people voted on the list or they wrote things, one guy wrote it and he said, ah, oh, that Martin Rooney, yeah, he's great, but all he is is motivation. And, uh, and I kind of, at first I was like, am I going to, should I take offense to that? And then I started to laugh because without any kind of initial motivation, people aren't gonna take action. So in, in terms of, I guess, if I had to have a crisp definition, that would be putting me on the spot. But what I did is I spent a lot of time trying to understand the components of what you need in place for somebody to be motivated. But it's, uh, you know, I, man, so I guess that's a tough one. But what I would say is motivation is essential. I mean, it, it, it creates action. So without any type of motivation, so I guess maybe here would be a good one. Motivation is the impetus to take action. So for instance, if, uh, you know, whether it's fight or flight or whatever else, if there's fear, maybe you'll take action and run away. If there's fear, maybe that'll be the motivation to fight. But there has to be some impetus to make people do the work. Like you said, so, it, you know, it is as simple as do the work, but somebody has to find their reason or their, their impetus to do that. And, uh, and that's what in my seminars, it's funny you say that, what I try to do is hit nerves and find those things. So I'm not just entertaining people, but I'm getting them to understand their reason so they do leave not just entertained, but ready to do something about it. And that's usually take action. You know, that came up on a thread the other day with a guy who I have a lot of respect for. I've known him for a really long time, but he posted something to the effect of like, if you don't have discipline, you're going to fail in life. And yeah, that was inspiring. But somebody came on the thread and said something to the effect of, hold on, wait a minute. If I don't have clarity and a deep-seated desire, why do I need to be disciplined again? To do yeah. what exactly? And, you know, when we talk about is motivation good or bad or, or like that guy, well, all, that, all, all Martin is is a motivator. I think what's missing a lot of times in people's personal journey is semantics. Semantics is everything. 
And the first thing that pops into my head, the first question when anybody says, well, you know, this equals behavior change, like motivation equals a result or strategy equals a result. I step back and I always ask, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Because let's make sure we're having the same conversation interpersonally as, as well as in our own head. So that's quite a compliment. Well, yeah, all Martin is is a guy that gives you an impetus to take action. <laughs> of where we wind up is based on each successive action we take along that path. So it's either the key to or the lock on any type of future that we create or fail to create for ourselves. Exactly. And, and hey, having worked with athletes at all levels, from Olympic gold medalists all the way down, every one of those people needed motivation. And hey, when you're working with elite military or just in when I'm consulting businesses, motivation, maybe we could almost, you know, get everybody to understand today too, is it's the, it is one of the starting points because motivation is related to your desire or your passion or what it is you really want. And once somebody becomes clear on that and they understand that they are motivated towards something, now you start figuring out how to get there. And, uh, and that's why I always talked about before, this is a pretty interesting way that I look at it. Before somebody can ever go from knowing to doing, they have to have a reason, you know, and, and that reason is the motivation. And it's funny, maybe if you say, oh, there's motivational speakers. Well, hey, you already mentioned them. Nobody makes more money probably in this industry, in the industry of motivation than, than Tony Robbins. And yet, same thing. He's trying to figure out what your thing is and then get you to do something about it. So, and that guy's a billionaire. So it's the kind of thing, I think it's something that people, they need that. Cause I will say this, Bobby, and this is pretty interesting. Maybe this will make sense and, and uh, also clarify it. Uh, here, I'll give you a quick test. You ready? Um, on nutrition. Hey, is uh, fast food good for you? No. Is vegetables and fruits good for you? Yes. It's good to drink water. <laughs> Drinking it right now. Yeah, well, 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 watch. Those answers and, a, and dozens and dozens of others, like don't eat processed sugar or, or all these different things, everybody knows that. And so everybody knows. But yet few people can do what they know until they get properly motivated. And what's interesting is, watch. I can even give you the example of motivation and then, and then when they don't have it. So, you know, in our industry, there will be people that will lose tremendous amounts of weight or there will be people that will train like crazy because they have some kind of reason. Maybe it's a wedding. Maybe they were, uh, you know, they have a reunion coming up. Maybe there's some, uh, you know, time frame that they gave themselves and then they make this magic happen. They finally do what they know because they're motivated. But then soon as it's over or they lost it, they go back because now they don't have the discipline anymore that they previously had simply because that piece we just talked about is missing again. And that is what's driving them, their reason. And uh, man, it, it's, it's actually becoming clear to me right now that if you have a, you know, you've heard before, if you have a strong enough why, you'll figure out how, your motivation is the why. Yeah, and you're touching upon the core philosophy of this company. We have a lot of beliefs about why people struggle to do certain things and why other people seem to excel and they become role models. And one of the things is that if what you're looking to do or your outcome isn't connected to a deeply seated priority in terms of a core value, you're probably not going to sustain a lot of motivation. 
Because like once you get into that dress size or you show up to that wedding and that was the driving force and that event is over, well, there goes your motivation because the two are inseparably linked. But when you find an intrinsic form of motivation, a lot of times it, it creates a lot more adherence. Now, I want to put you on the spot here and take you back a little bit because if you look at the people that you've worked with, and I talked about this in your intro, you know, you, you've worked with the Gracies, you know, arguably one of the top martial arts families on the planet. You've worked with top level athletes. And you work with some of the most successful trainers and coaches around the world. So you're working with a group of people that, if I were to guess, I would say, okay, they're pretty self-motivated. But what do you do when you know motivation is important? Like this impetus for action. I think everybody would put their hand up and go, yeah, that's good. I kind of need that. But what about the people like, I just don't know what motivates me. Where do you find motivation when you seem to be lacking it? Well, well, here's what I would say. This is an interesting point, and I, I call it kind of one of my motivational mindsets, right? And, and just so we understand that, this is one you'll love too, is one thing that I dove into the last few years too was I started to see that people's mindsets preceded their skill sets. So just like we said, motivation will precede action. Well, the way that you think will precede the skills you, you develop or the actions you take. So I tried to, try to, tried to start discovering what are the motivational mindsets that either I had or a coach had that could then fire up the skill sets of the actions people needed to take. And it's interesting that you're asking because one of the biggest ones and one of the originals I discovered was, and this is a simple four-letter uh, mindset, know what people think. So you just said, hey, how can you help them? Well, the way you got to help them is you got to ask questions and then listen. So if a person is looking for what motivates them, as a coach, I would ask them, what's important to you? What do you want? Why do you want this? And you know what's interesting? A lot of people don't know until you really dig in. And in particular, when I worked with a the NFL combine guys, these were guys that were trying to go to the NFL. Now you would think, right, Bobby, would you agree that most people would be motivated to go to the NFL? Most people. Yeah. Well, everybody on earth, if you walked down the street and said, Hey, would you like to be in the NFL and make millions? Everybody would say, yeah. But when you got these guys that were getting ready to go and I asked them, okay, what motivates you? Why do you want to make it? Guess what they all said? Money. Right. They would all say money. I, I want to, well, money or cash. I want to make that money. And I would say, nope, then you're not going to make it because that's the wrong motivation. And then I would dig deeper and I would say, no, come back to me tomorrow. Why you really have to make it. And then they might come back with, oh, I was always good at football or this is what my family wants. I would say not good enough. You got to come back deeper, deeper. And man, the answers that then they would start to dig into were unreal. It might be that one of the guys had just had a child and, and the holidays had just passed and, and he had no gifts because he had no money. And he said, I'm never going to embarrass myself or let that happen again. Other guys, they grew up in tough areas where they said, I'm the only chance my family has to get them out of there. And if I get them out of there, maybe something bad isn't going to happen to them. And man, some of the strongest ones I remember where it was either uh, play, uh, players that had had 
had experienced suicide, you know, close to them and they wanted to create foundations for it or drug addiction and they wanted to help other people that had problems like them. And this would be their forum if they could become famous enough. And man, when they tapped into that stuff, not only did it become easy to motivate them for the long term, but now they really understood why they were doing it. And then it wasn't about the money. And I'll tell you what, what's interesting about it, every one of those guys worked their ass off more than the guy that wanted money. And every one of those guys made it and stayed for a long time. So I agree. That's brilliant. There's a story you tell. I'm probably going to have you tell it in a minute about Matt Emmons and what happens when he he lost an Olympic medal and how how that actually came about. But I find that a lot with with trainers. Back when I was with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, I was the director of personal uh, professional development. I would go around the world as a health club chain consultant. And a lot of times it's like, okay, we'll talk, talk to our people. We got 30 minutes. Okay, great. Yeah. What, what could I possibly say in 30 minutes that makes them more prepared? And one of the tools that I would leave these trainers with when they were in front of their clients was what you're describing. And I called it root cause analysis, where whatever the answer is to what do you want to achieve or, or what result are you looking to produce? Because depending on what phase of change you're in, sometimes the word goal is a little bit scary and it starts people thinking down the wrong track. That's a whole different subject. But whatever result that they said they wanted to produce, like let's say they wanted to lose, I don't know, five kilos, ask them why five times in a row. I mean, not like why, 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 like you're talking to a five-year-old, but what is most important to you about that? And then when they tell you that answer, well, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. What happens when that occurs? And when you get down to the fifth why, it's amazing. If you have enough safety and rapport, what people tell you, because they would train these people for weight loss, but it wasn't anything about weight loss. You would hear stories like, you know, my my dad died when he was 56. You know, mom died when she was 54. I'm 55. And I still got a daughter that's not yet married. But she's engaged and you would hear all these stories come out and it would be so quintessentially linked, not just to achieving a goal, but it would be at the heart of their deepest held values. And once you have that type of, in your words, motivation, there is a very strong impetus to take action because I, I think nothing is more counterproductive and nothing will sabotage you greater than constantly taking action towards a goal that you truly don't hold, you think you should have it or other people want it for you. So would you take us through like your story that you, that you tell your audiences about Matt Emmons? I love that story. It's so yeah, cool. well, well, here's something that's pretty interesting too. Before we, before I give you that is, uh, Hey, one of the things that I always say, and you just hinted at it and I hope everybody understands this. What my saying is, is a great coach knows that motivation is one of his or her main responsibilities. But what's interesting is, first off, everybody should understand whether you're in sports or fitness, whatever you do, you're a coach. And that's what I present on around the world. So if you are a parent or a teacher or a coworker or a business person, you're a coach to someone else. And what you just discovered in a different way that I was saying it is, so then it's our job to uncover what motivates them. And by doing that, you motivate them because now they know what they really want. And, uh, and that's a perfect lead into the story 
that I usually share. And, and hey, I am from New Jersey, and, and uh, so I'm always following athletes, but also the Olympics. And there was one famous athlete, maybe not famous that anybody's heard of him, but he was a, a, a rifleman, a shooter. And at the Olympic Games, he actually lost, fell out of medal contention because he shot an incorrect target. Like he actually took aim and hit the wrong target. Perfect. And what I always, what I got from that example and what I used about that was that's what so many people do every day. So for instance, when I ask most people, would you like to lose weight? Most people will say, yeah, or be in better shape. Yeah. And I'll say, well, do you go to the gym? And they'll say, no, I watch Netflix and I eat the wrong food, but wait, you know, you want to lose weight, but yet they don't do anything about it. And the missing reason is because they're probably aiming at the wrong target. They like TV or they want to talk about that with their friends, but they forgot about the real target because maybe somebody didn't pull it out of them like we're talking about right here. Where if somebody could really understand, man, I, I want to live longer or I want to, I want to be a better role model to my kids or, you know, I don't know, like whatever it is that really motivates them, you know, it's pretty interesting, Bobby. I bet if we really looked at many successful people or people that would be considered disciplined, they may just have a better idea of the right target that they're aiming at and what motivates them and stay with it. You know, so we're really uncovering that there where, I, like for myself, I, I, I pride myself on have been the same weight for the last 20, 25 years. And how did I do it? Because I'm just motivated by something more than, oh, I want to lose weight or, oh, now I have a 12-week program that I'm going to... No, I, mine is fitness is for life. I'm, I want to be a role model of my kids. I want to live and preach the values that I'm, I'm saying to everyone else. And therefore, I'm motivated every day to do, you know, to eat right and exercise that some people can't find that. And it's simply because they lack, lack the deeper motivation. Yeah, it's funny because I, I was talking to a client of mine. This was going back a couple of months ago. And because a lot of people, they label themselves lazy and unmotivated. And I think they, they do that quite incorrectly. I think that's a story they tell themselves because they hear it so often. So I'm, I'm on the phone with this client, you know, obviously not to mention names. It says, well, you know, I think the reason why I struggle with my weight is because I have bad habits. <laughs> no, no kidding. You know, I, I, think, I think you might be onto something there. But then I ask them, well, what do you think produces those poor habits? If you know you have bad habits, what stands in the way of you developing good habits? He goes, well, I got to tell you, I'm, I think I'm just lazy. You're lazy. I said, you know, that, that's kind of interesting. Tell me all the areas in your life where laziness shows up. I think it's just related to health and fitness. I said, well, you're pretty inconsistent, aren't you? I said, because to tell you the truth, I'm pretty committed to everything I do. If I was going to be lazy, I would make sure I was lazy in every facet of my life. <laughs> Locking off on this laziness thing. I said, well, you know, within, within your industry, and I kind of knew the answers to this. The, the funny thing is this guy is super accomplished. And in, in his industry, he is so widely respected. I said, well, where do you rank in the hierarchy of your company? I think he is like, he's like third down from the CEO. And this guy is super well-respected in his company. 
I said, well, do they, do they respect you for your level of laziness? Like, do people look at you and go, you know what? I could be that lazy one day as well. <laughs> I get to his position. And we just started dissecting this and dissecting this. And, and after a while, it turns out he's a community leader, right? He, he's respecting his company. He's respecting his industry. And he's one of the hardest working guys he knows. So I said, listen, if you're going to tell yourself you're lazy, do me a favor. Don't share that with other people because you kind of suck at it. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so, well, you know, I, I just do things that I know I shouldn't do. I was like, well, what? And he says, well, when I get home from work, now mind you, he gets home at eight, nine o'clock, but he leaves at six in the morning. So that's a pretty long work day. And he, he goes right into his den. And he goes, when I go into my den, I know I'm in trouble. So well, what do you do in your den? He goes, well, you know, I sit down and I watch something. Or and a lot of times I pour myself a glass of wine and, and the alcohol becomes a problem. And as I started asking him more and more questions, it got to when you walk into your den, how do you feel? Like, what's the emotional state you're in? And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just exhausted. So, you know, he, he's depleted his willpower throughout the day. He's not making great decisions. Do you know what he says to me? He paused for a while because nobody ever asked him. I said, when I go into my den, I'm lonely. I'm really lonely. I was like, well, that's interesting. Why? It's just because I wake up in the morning before anyone in the house is awake. And when I get home, like the kids are, you know, my wife is doing other stuff. She's got to get the kids ready. They're in the bath. And it's like, I can't talk to my family because then I ruin their routine. I said, oh, so then what do you do when you're lying? I go and I drink. I said, so you're not lazy. You're trying to mitigate loneliness. I said, so, so what's most important? Like if you had three days where you didn't have to go to work and you could use your time any way you wanted to, what would you do? And obviously his answer was all around spending time with his family. So in his mind, going to the gym was a choice between his family and his health. Hmm. Both important. But one was a little bit less important because his health was important to him because he felt it served his family. So when you talk about getting clear, I think what most people struggle with is not lack of motivation, not lack of inner strength or character. What they lack is clarity, real clarity between what they think they should want and what they actually want. So we started creating habits that involved his family and certain nutritional and sleep-based behaviors that allowed him to create more of the experiences on the weekend he wanted to create, he, wasn't, he, he went about it like he went about a career goal, and he nailed it. Within a week, he had made dramatic changes. So I completely support what you're saying. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because we're, we're all going full circle. We're saying the same things, and I think if there was one way for, for all the listeners to understand it right now, hey, number one, I think we can all agree motivation is important. We can agree motivation is central or a precursor to action. But here's the thing. Motivation is internal, but sometimes hidden. And until the person understands what that motivation truly is for themselves, they're probably not going to take the actions they want. And it could take a coach you know, and or therapist or something to pull that out of somebody and really create the breakthrough for them. And, uh, you know, and that, and oftentimes fitness can do that, but say in business or something else, 
It may just be a function, whether it's your team or you have a staff or whatever else, of really sitting down and digging in until you find out what it is exactly somebody wants. And then once they really understand it, you could have given them the biggest gift. And that is, you know, firing them up to finally take action and, and use the behaviors or, or the skills that they really have inside of them. They just never had a reason to do it. So, I, you know, I think there's some cool stuff, some nuggets of gold in there for everybody. And when you look at your own behaviors or your own intentions, don't go by what other people tell you. And don't go by what you tell people you want. Go by what you actually do. I mean, you, you can tell what you value with pretty much short clarity when you examine not your words, but your behaviors. Like you use the Netflix example, right? Like if you come home and every single day you're with your partner or your significant other or family and you're like watching two hours a day of Netflix and eating popcorn, that's going to produce a certain result, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, First, acknowledge you're really good at producing that result. Because if you took a look at that, I'm, I'm only being half facetious here, honestly. If you're watching Netflix every night for two hours, well, that's quite a commitment. So you're already a pretty committed person because you dedicate a lot of time and resources to Netflix and to popcorn. It's just a matter of, is that producing the result you want? And, and why are you doing that in the first place? You know, it might be a relaxation. It might be at the end of a very stressful day. You're trying to mitigate some of that emotional stress by just having a laugh. You know, that popcorn could be, you know, for a serotonin boost. Because you figure out what you want from an experience, you can start to say, hey, you know what? Rather than Netflix five, six, seven days a week, you know, what if I cut back just to like four days a week and three days a week? You know, don't even say like, well, I'm going to go to the gym. Even start smaller than that. What can I do to enjoy the time with my family, have a few laughs, get entertainment? And I'm just throwing out bowling. I know that's probably like, do people bowl anymore? I think they do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you do, if you do that, you know, you'll all already start to see yourself as being capable of making changes. What's also cool is just getting out of your environment. It's funny because people try to set different goals. And they try to, to change their life. If you don't change your perspective, you're thinking the same thoughts every day because you're in the same environment going through the same routine. And those thoughts and those experiences are producing the same biochemical effect, which is producing the same emotional state. And that emotional state is driving or reinforcing the same behavior patterns that put you in a place where you don't want to be. Like to begin with, if you just got out of the house, right, and, and you just showed up into a place with multisensory stimuli that involved movement and activity, you would start to change your perceptions, which would start to change your emotions, and that would change the scope of possibility in, in, in your behaviors. I mean, if, if I could just share one quick study, this was by, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ellen Langer. This was by Langer and Crumb. You probably heard of this, Martin, where they went to a hotel chain and they interviewed, they interviewed workers in, in two different hotels and they asked them the same question. And this was the housekeeping staff. They said, you know, do you get any 
uh, physical exercise in during the week? How much exercise do you engage in? And in the overwhelming majority of the people they interviewed in both locations said, well, we get none. We don't exercise. We're working all the time. We go home. We're tired. Well, if you take a look at what housekeepers have to do, they well exceeded the minimum recommended requirement of exercise per week. So they told one group of housekeepers this. They said, you know, when you add up everything you do, do you realize you actually exercise more than the majority of the population with your scrubbing, the walking, the vacuuming, the carrying? Like, no, they didn't realize that. They didn't share this with the other group. Now, within a month, just the, the insight, just the, the, the reframe of considering myself a non-exerciser and then considering myself an exerciser, everybody in the hotel where they told them, you guys actually get a lot of exercise, they lost on average two pounds in a month. Now, wow, you, you can ask yourself, well, well, why did that occur? You can say, well, maybe it was the biochemical change from feeling a sense of pride, feeling good about yourself, and maybe that biochemistry contributed to it. Or, or maybe they thought, wow, since I'm getting exercise, you know, I, I think I'm going to vacuum a little bit more or scrub a little bit harder. Who, who knows? Maybe they made dietary changes. But the bottom line is, once they reframed who they thought they were, they didn't do anything different. They just acknowledged whatever they were doing. They did it better, and it produced a desirable result. So I think the, the takeaways from that would be, number one, understand what benefit you're getting from your current behavior patterns, even, even if it's not the ones you think you want. What advantages are you getting? Number two, how do you get those advantages in a different environment and acknowledge wherever you're starting from as being significant and that'll reinforce more changes. Yeah, man, it's awesome. And, and, you know, ultimately again, and I always try to simplify things down. It's look what you just said. You have to know who you are and what you're doing or why you're doing it. And then all of a sudden, maybe it could have been that they were just more motivated to be this thing they now believe, you know? And we see that a lot where, you know, many people come to fitness now and they don't believe they're athletic, but then they, but that, that pattern changes and that mindset changes. And then they take a lot of different actions as a result. And I'll keep saying it though. And this is an important thing. I think we're, we're finding across the board though, is do you notice that no one, or maybe the rarity but few people will make these incredible changes or get the great motivation by themselves. They need help. They need somebody else to help them discover that. And if anybody's listening, hey, maybe you got to have a conversation with somebody else too and, and talk it out and then you'll start to figure it out. So you see how whether it's a study or a coach or a parent, somebody helps you find that motivation where it might be real. It might be way easier to just watch Netflix than go discover it yourself. That's a really big point because all things being equal, if you had 100 people and you gave 50 of them social support and the other 50 had to go about it and do it on their own, you would get greater results. And, and there's tons of, of stuff in the list to prove this and much greater adherence from the social support people. So, yes, go out and, and, and find someone. It, it, you know, it could be a trainer. Or it could be someone in your family that really cares about you and say, look, I'm having a struggle. You know, like in what ways 
can, can we work on this together? You know, I would love to enlist you and make you part of this because I love you and you're important to me. You know, and have a conversation around collaborative efforts. I think that's critical. Oh, yeah. Well, and look what you just said. I mean, by getting other people on board, it's kind of interesting that when you feel you've made either your motivation public or something that you want public and people know about it, there is an impetus where you don't want to let them down. And that could be some motivation. You know, I know growing up, there were coaches I didn't want to let down or teachers I didn't want to let down, even though I didn't want to perhaps do either the homework or the work, but then you did it. You became motivated to do it. So definitely that's another whole layer is just enlisting people with your cause. Cause it is true. You're not, Hey, none of the greatest movements or businesses or, or things of all time were built by one person. You know, it was the, it was the combination of others and knowing what they wanted and, and, and helping people to do it. So I think it's another facet of motivation that, you know, whether you want to call them coach or whatever else you need, like I said, few people are such disciplined self-starters. I'd love to be able to say, oh, I'm, I'm just so motivated. I would do everything myself, but Hey, without my kids or my family or, or my network of training for warriors around the world counting on me, maybe I wouldn't be as motivated. Maybe I'd like to watch Netflix too. But then when I realized, Holy cow, I can't kill 20 hours a week on some dumb TV show when I got to get work done to make sure I'm not letting these people down. And everybody can relate to that. Like everybody can relate. Like if you had a really good relationship with your parents and they came to see you perform, whether it was a sport or in a play, just knowing that they were watching increased your performance. Like I, I know my coaches in the health and fitness industry, um, before I came on to NASM, if they were in the gym, I knew I, I was pretty conscientious anyway, but I, I worked so hard to make sure whatever I was executing was as close to perfect as I was capable of getting it because someone who I really respected and looked up to, I knew they were watching me across the gym floor. So, so we, we all have that. And there's people that show up in our lives, like for you, it's your family, for some other people, it's your boss. As a matter of fact, you said something. I'm going to bring up an example that you were talking about the last time I ever heard you speak, which is not too long ago on Long Beach. And you said, well, it's this whole thing about people not knowing what to do, going back to that. And you were talking to the room full of trainers. And so, well, you know, without giving you any strategies, without putting you through any exercise science classes, if let's say you respect and you look up to your boss and you knew your boss was watching you train that client right now, would you do anything differently? And that was, that was pretty astonishing because that was one of the, the, the games that I used to play in my own head. Well, early in my career, I, I was very fortunate to go to work for people that I not only deeply liked on a personal level, but I deeply respected on a professional level. And I would always have that thought in my head, would I be doing what I'm doing right now if this person was standing right behind me? Like, what would I be doing differently? And I would make sure that I sorted myself out and those were the behaviors that I exhibited. So if you have like, you know, let's say somebody's listening to this, you have one of your children that's really invested in your health and fitness. And you say, well, would you hold me accountable? 
you know, here's the commitments I'm going to make, you know, what commitments are you going to make as my coach? And you have that conversation, even when they're not there, like what if they were standing right next to me at the food court? Would I be ordering what I'm ordering? You know, if, I, if they were in the gym with me right now, would I be doing what I'm doing? And I think that's a very good litmus test, or, or at least it was for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and again, I, I agree that I think everybody can resonate with that. And I think what we're really, it's kind of interesting. So what started as just talking, we're deep diving into motivation. And for anybody that is listening to this, again, it's, uh, we all need motivation. There is no doubt about it. And I think one is we defined it pretty well that it's, it's the thing that happens before you take action. It's the thing that not all of us have ever asked, what is it we really want? Like, think about it. Uh, Simon Sinek's book, hey, start with why. What's that book really asking is like, what's your why? What, what motivates you? And few people probably, even though they read it and understand it, few probably really deep, dig deep enough to discover that. So I'm throwing out an action item right now. I'm, I hope I, we have motivated anybody listening to this enough sit down. Why do you want to be fit? Why do you want to have money? Why do you want to have a house or what job do you want and why? And if you really understood that, because here's where I'm going next, Bobby, which is big. If you understood those things and you started taking action on those things, you're going to feel better about yourself, regardless of what it is. So you might discover, you know what? I don't want to be a billionaire or a multimillionaire. I want to have a a comfortable life and, and live with my kids. And here's what I'm going to do to do that. Or, Hey, I want to have more health and I'm wasting my time on Netflix. So I'm going to do that. Or, Hey, I'm going to stop eating the, the junk food because of this. And then they do that. And, and for everybody listening, when you start taking actions and getting results on the things you really want, your well being and your fulfillment increase and that's what everybody wants and right now in this world if i was to say what is one of the biggest diseases yeah there's diabetes yeah there's cancer yeah there's high blood pressure but it's low self-esteem and i believe it's because most people are living a life that they don't really want or aren't proud of but they didn't ask what we're what i'm what we're discovering today is but they may never have asked well what it is they really want and uh, man, ask that, become motivated and take action on it. And I'm saying this because I understand it because I can remember living an unmotivated life and now a motivated life. And uh, that's the biggest difference. I think one of the most powerful things that keep us stuck is comparison. Comparison is, like, is the road to misery. I think the, the best definition that I've ever heard about success comes from Earl Nightingale, where he said success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal. Because if you go to anybody and you say, well, who do you know that's most successful? They'll probably talk about who they know that has the most stuff, who's the most affluent, who's built the biggest business. And those are great examples of success. But my personal definition for success is when you wake up in the morning, and what you really want to do that day is what you get to do that day, that's success. So I think, you know, you got to get really clear as to what makes you, not somebody else based on their expectations, but what is your truth? And you got to live that truth. You know, nothing I really want to ask you because <laughs> this happened, this happened to me recently. I remember when it happened to you, 
you're pretty congruent. And, and this is one of the reasons why I respect you as a professional, Martin, because a lot of people have different opinions around this, and, and I, I understand all of them. But for me personally, if you're going to have the audacity to step up on a stage and ask people to invest their trust and their time with you, you better have done what you're telling them to do. And, you know, anybody who watches your videos, like when you're in the gym, you're really congruent. So you don't tell anybody to do anything from the stage that you don't do daily. But you, I remember when we were doing your podcast, you got hurt pretty bad around that time. And for somebody whose whole life is built around physical and mental performance, that must have been pretty painful for you. So what happens when you're motivated and then something unexpected happens, like a, a real severe injury or any type of setback? How do you bounce back? How do you develop that resilience? Wow. Well, and I would say what we're talking about there and for everybody listening, uh, I was, uh, hey, my history, so everybody understands that I was a track and field scholarship athlete in college. I was a uh, member of the U.S. bobsled team. Uh, for the silver United medalist? <laughs> well, no, the silver medalist was uh, my driver, Todd Hayes, one of my... Uh, oh, sorry, I thought it was you. Know, yeah, one of my best friends who's now the head coach of Canada. But, you know, hey, I'm a black belt in judo. I've trained martial arts around the world, powerlifting championships. So, yeah, the, the physical stuff was a big part of my life. And I was coaching track and field, and I suffered a devastating knee injury that, you know, really took me out for a, a year and a half. And, and I had to come to grips with not only my identity, but what I – because I guess it's interesting. I was, I was also an orthopedic therapist, so having the injury, I knew what was ahead – and I was motivated, if we're talking about motivation, to get back. But, man, it was, uh, it was a really tough road. And I even had to understand my motivation better. But I think the biggest lesson I got from that one was that I had to disassociate my identity as, oh, I'm just an athlete from really seeing. And it showed me what my true value was as a coach and a motivator of other people. And what I found was I didn't have to be the greatest athlete in the world to be able to do that. So there were really big lessons there. But what I would say, because we're talking on the motivational thread, even then I had to find the motivation to rehab myself every day when I was especially tired from still having to do work and these other things. And I'll tell you what, I found that in making sure that my kids saw that I could overcome something really big, that my network saw that too. But my motivation was to get back and be able to be on stage and, and still fire up people. And uh, so in a weird way, the injury, you know, where you've probably heard this a lot of times at first seems like a tremendous setback, but then you see it as a real gift because it, it taught you so many lessons, but you only, you only learn those lessons after the test which is a, a different way to do it. But, uh, but yeah, that was, you know, a couple of years ago and, and Hey, still, I'm um, still every day. I've got to work on it and do things. And it's, uh, you know, but I'm motivated to do that because I don't want to go in the wrong direction. So what I'm hearing is no silver medal. No, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so I did not win. I did not win a silver medal at Olympics. Now we won a lot of medals. Uh, in bobsledding, but remember the Olympics is just one race uh, every four years. 
So, uh, but I was on the U.S. team and got to represent the United States, you know, in different places around the world, which was really cool. Yeah, I guess that's kind of cool. You know, we're going to go now, Martin. Thanks for being here. <laughs> so what I, got, what I got from you talking about your injury was a couple of things. Like for me, the takeaway points were, number one, assess what's actually happened. I mean, knowing where it is you want to go, you know, a roadmap has to have that information, but it also needs to tell you exactly where you're starting from. So assess what actually happened. And then a couple of questions that were arising for me when I was listening to that is, one, you know, how bad is it? Number two, what's the lesson that I can learn here? What is the advantage? You know, I mean, a lot of people like with a serious injury, that's a problem. You say, well, what's the advantage? And, you know, the first answer is like, piss off. There is none, but there is. If you look at that, you know, there's an advantage to it. And, and not only what will I learn and what advantage could this possibly give me that's not so obvious, but who could I become because of the necessity that I have for self-reinvention right now? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was all of those things wrapped up in one. I'm glad, I'm glad you're letting me relive it. <laughs> Just what I needed. Yeah, this is, this is payback from that script you had me write for the podcast. <laughs> I've been plotting this like for the past hour. So, <laughs> you know, as, as we wrap up, how did you become the Martin Rooney you are today? I know like you've been many different versions of yourself, but you had said something that I, I just want to touch upon. You said at one point you were living an unmotivated life. Now, anyone who knows you, that seems like a little bit of a shocking statement. You know, you, you to, to say that you've accomplished a lot throughout your career is kind of like an exploitation of the obvious. Um, what was the motivation? Yeah, well, the the story itself, and I think this is one that motivates a lot of people. Uh, I was an orthopedic therapist. I mentioned that. And I think it's going to, you know what, this will be the great stuff to end on because it's going to bring everything full circle. And I was an orthopedic therapist. I had this job. Everybody thought it was a good job. I, you know, I, now that my bobsled career was over, college sports were over. That's what I had gone to school for. And everybody said, this is a great job. And, and I didn't love it. I was sitting in a lot of traffic every day. I was really grinding. And if you, and I think if anybody uses the word, I'm grinding at work, it's probably, you're probably doing something you don't love to do. And you know what? I was helping people, but it wasn't my passion. I knew there was something bigger and I wanted to be around athletics and fitness, but there really weren't careers maybe per se in that then. And I was stuck in a career that I was doing. And, and I was so I guess down. I, I had the Monday blues. My stomach would get me every morning. I'd have to go to work. And there was just something calling to me. But you know what? I wasn't that motivating and I wasn't that on fire and I wasn't inspiring people. And then when I got to the point after years of that, that I couldn't take it anymore, I realized I was either going to do that the rest of my life or I was going to discover what it was I really wanted to do. And it's funny that, so I asked a lot of questions of what really motivated me. I found that that was fitness and health. And then I went in and I quit that job and I started going seminar after seminar. And, and, and then, Hey, we, we built the Parisi speed school and then training for warriors. And now, you know, it, it's almost like I look at it as the, every day since that moment I quit, 
and then started pursuing what I loved. I was so motivated and I became so passionate about what I did and I've always felt great and I have not had that knot in my gut since. And I guess why that's such an important story to bring it full circle is if you're not motivated or you're not motivating, you have to discover what it is you really want and I'm begging anybody that is listening to go for it and give it a shot. Because here's what I discovered now looking back, and that was 20-something years ago. Now looking back, the worst thing that could have happened is whatever I really wanted to do didn't work out, and I could just go back to what I was doing. But you know what? It did work out, and my whole life is different because I made a commitment to what is it do I really want, what's my why, what motivates me, and then once I discovered that, I took actions until I found it. And I think that comes full circle to what we're talking about today, that if anybody is listening and, hey, your health or your, your career or your life is not where you want it to be, then you need to discover what that thing is, what it is that really motivates you, and then take some small actions, like Bobby said, and try it out. And if you do that, the end result, when you live in congruence with your motivation, is you're going to feel pretty good about yourself. And that... If I were to say what's my definition of success, it's actually, it's again, saying it like you said with Nightingale, I'm saying it kind of the same way as, yeah, discover what you want and, and live in accordance and follow that. And when you do that, you're, you're going to be a success. And, uh, you know, I think that puts it all, you know, it, it, it sums it all up. It, it, it does. And I, I think, you know, listening to that, what I get is not taking a chance on yourself is significantly the riskier option when you think about what, what you hate about where you're at and what you don't like and compound that by five, 10, you know, however many years you're going to be doing that and going through a life of quiet desperation. But there is a little bit more to that story, you know, and, and you touched upon this, you, you know, everybody's talking about the hustle and the grind. And I, I personally hate that. And the reason why I hate that. It is, it's the assumption that, oh, I work so hard and everyone else isn't working hard. You know, I, I, like I met an Uber driver recently who works a full-time job, gets off from that, goes home, puts a kid to bed, drives Uber all night. So she might not own her own company, but that woman's hustling. You know, I agree with you. I think a lot of times that comes from someone who is very frustrated themselves and it's making them angry and bitter. And that bitterness is being directed outward because they might be working very hard, but not at something they absolutely love because you went around the world um, for free sometimes because you wanted, you wanted to fulfill your vision so badly. And I know when I first started being a speaker, I would sleep out in my car. Now, usually people wind up sleeping out in their car when things are going really badly. I was sleeping out in my car because I got hired for my dream job, but I had to prove myself. <laughs> so there's like no money to put me up in a hotel, but you do those things. And, and yes, it's hard and yes, it's exhausting, but it doesn't feel like a grind, does it? You know, you're not paying a price. You're actually paying a privilege. So, you know, there's, there's a lot other things around that, your story that I find inspiring, but that is a beautiful place to wrap up. You know, thank you, Martin, for being our guest. Hey, my pleasure, and, and for anybody listening, hey, the way you're going to thank us is you're going to take some action on the things that we talked about because, hey, we're not here to entertain you. We want you to do something about it.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Transformation Unplugged. Our affiliate partner for this episode is Coached. That's C-O-A-C-H-D. If you download their app or go to their website and choose to work with one of their world-class coaches, they're offering all listeners of this podcast a 20% discount. All you got to do is use the code TRANSFORMATIONUNPLUGGED. See you on the next episode.